0: Adame, this child is gifted. And I heard that enough that I started to believe it. If you have the opportunity, not a perfect opportunity, and you don't take it, you may never have another chance.
1: It all was so clear. It, It was just like the picture started to form itself. There was
2: no way in which a lie could prevail over the truth. Darkness over light, death over life.
1: Every day I wake up and decide, today I'm going to love my life. Decide. Decide.
0: Decide. Decide. My advice is, if they're going to break your leg once when you go in that place, stay out of there. (laughs) And then along come these differential experiences that you don't look for, you don't plan for, but boy, you better not miss them.
1: This is What It Takes, a podcast about passion, vision, and perseverance from the Academy of Achievement's recorded collection. I'm Alice Winkler. On every episode of What It Takes, you'll hear a revealing conversation with someone who has changed the world. Rosa Parks, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Linus Pauling, to name just a few. Their personal stories may be vastly different, but all of them are inspiring. And it's the Academy of Achievement's mission, after all, to show you don't have to be a superhero to make a difference. Now, some might argue that Willie Mays, the subject of today's episode actually comes as close to being a superhero as any human. But in this 1996 interview, Mays said, no, go ahead and look up to him if you like, but a hero he is not.
0: When you're talking about heroes, I think the heroes should come from your mother and your fathers because they are the ones got to teach you for right and for wrong. Now, you can admire whoever you want to admire, but... That particular person is not going to teach you. You're going to go out and try to emulate whatever he does, but your mother and father is going to be there with you every day, from day in and day out. They are your heroes, I feel. My father was my hero.
1: Yeah. Willie Mays' father was a Pullman porter on the trains and a steel worker who also played baseball on the Steel Mills Negro team. He made a good living, and so Willie never had to worry about going hungry, like a lot of the people he knew growing up in the 1930s. Willie Mays's mother was a great athlete, too, a track star, so Mays admits he was born with an overdose of athletic prowess. Talented as he was at sports, though, it didn't occur to him that he would play in the major leagues, let alone become one of, if not the greatest all-round baseball players of all time. He was born into the segregated South, after all, just outside of Birmingham, Alabama. So there were limits. But Willie Mays insists the circumstances didn't fill him with anger.
0: Well, I I, I was, like I say, I was very fortunate to play sports. All the anger in me went out. Uh, I had to do what I had to do, you know. And you, you if you stay anger all the time, then you really don't have a good life you know we we knew what was going on you know but uh, again you if you just stay focused on what is happening as far as your life is concerned uh, I don't think you, you you have a hard time sure we went I like Vince and I went to an all-black school I didn't you know it wasn't mixed or anything and when you say had to be some anger there sure but what what good it was going to do who who are you going to go to uh, to tell about what is happening as far as your community was concerned so you the my father was uh, a type of guy that would go and pull the punches punches from me uh, when like i said when i had a job that uh, i didn't like and it wasn't good for me he would say hey don't work you're you gonna play baseball and i really didn't understand what he was talking about at that time but he was saying you're not going into a cotton field but that's number one that means Picking card down and putting it in the side, carrying on your shoulder. You're not going to do that. You're going to play baseball. You're going to be the best. He, he, he just drilled it. I had the best shoes. I had the best glove. best everything as far as sports was concerned. So uh, my house was like a sporting goods shop. Uh, when p- kids didn't have shoes, they'd come and get my shoes, wear them, bring them back. We had a good relationship in my community when I played, you know.
1: Willie Mays's father may have done whatever he could to pave the way for his son to make it in sports, but he also insisted that Willie finish high school. When the Birmingham Black Barons made an offer to sign the 15-year-old, his dad struck a deal with the team's manager. Willie would continue to go to school five days a week and play for the team on weekends and in the summer. His high school coaches actually weren't too happy about the arrangement. Once he went pro... Willie wasn't allowed to play for his school teams anymore, and he had been the star of all three, football, basketball, and baseball.
0: Basketball was my uh, second sport. Football was my first. Baseball was my last. But I picked baseball because it was the easiest of the three, and I don't think I had a problem with that, but uh, the others I thought I would get hurt in, so I just picked that and... My father didn't have money for me to go to college, and at that particular time, they didn't have black quarterbacks. and uh, I don't think I could have made it in basketball because I was only five eleven. So I just picked baseball. There was no height limit there in baseball. You just go and play and have a good time.
1: It may not have been his number one choice, but lucky for baseball, Willie Mays realized he loved the game.
0: I love defense more than offense. And defense, and to me, is the key to playing baseball. I know people say, well, you've got to score runs, but you've got to stop them before you can score runs. And I, I used to love to run out a fly ball. I used to love to throw a guy out. But of course, I played good offense, too. But I, I just felt baseball was a, a beautiful game, especially at night. The sun, I mean, you have the lights out there. And all you do is go out there, and you're out there by yourself. In center field and I uh, just a beautiful game and I just felt that it was such a beautiful game that I just wanted to play it forever you know I uh, wouldn't well, I used to go to you know when I was in Birmingham I used to go to a place called Rickwood field and I used to get there at a two o'clock game I'm there at 12 o'clock because why can you make this kind of money playing sports it, it was just a pleasure just to have me go out and enjoy myself and get paid for it i didn't understand why people didn't want to play you know so it kept staying with me all the time when i until i got to professional ball and then when i got to professional ball uh i would try and help everybody because the game was so easy for me you know it was just like hey walking in the park again
1: so how did willie mays get to be as good as he was before he'd even gotten to high school
0: i don't know it wasn't hard it wasn't anything that I had to look for. When you say, "How do I get to be as good?" Well, I was there. If, if you talk about throwing a football, I could throw a football further. You throwing a baseball further than anybody in my community or anybody around that area. Uh, basketball, I would score twenty points. Stop. That was enough. We used to have guys used to be, uh, bet on things that, like, "Hey, he's going to score twenty points tonight." You know, so I would never bet, but the guys around me, because I could him. You got to get 20 tonight, so I would. I was probably one of the best basketball players in my area, now. And uh, when you say how did I get that, I I really don't know. I just I just was creative. I just did what I had to do. Some guys that are uh, so-called superstars can't tell you how they do things. It's creative. You just do it, and whatever comes out. It's comes out, it comes out good. I never had any training. I never had uh, a guy say to me, do it this way, do it that way. Every team that I was on, I was the last guy to get picked. I'm talking about as I'm growing up now. I was the last guy to get picked. The reason for that is that whatever a guy couldn't play, that's what I did. If the guy came, they, if everybody came out that was a pitcher needed, I pitched. If that was a catch of me, I catch, and then I caught. But if that was a first baseman, shortstop, whatever position they needed, that's what I played. And uh, I, I felt I was the best athlete around that, that particular team, that I could do that. Most of them couldn't do that. Everybody wanted to play a position. It didn't matter what I played. You know? So uh,
1: I just had fun and enjoyed it. And what about all the hard work? The countless hours of practice under one of the toughest, most demanding managers in baseball, Leo Rocher. Well, turns out...
0: Let me tell you something. I, I, I came out of the Army in 1954. I had played in the Army. I hadn't played for, uh, I would say, about five months, because in, in Newport News, Virginia, where I was located, uh, we played, We didn't play from September until uh, around April or something like that. I get out of the army and three months early. I get out in February, end of February. I show up at spring training. I get there at five. I mean, twelve o'clock. The game started at 1.05. Leo said, "Go put on a uniform." I go put on a uniform. I haven't. I'm getting off the plane now. I haven't thrown a ball, haven't seen a ball in five months. I put on a plane. He said, "Want to play?" I said, "Okay." I go out. First ball hit was over my head against the fence. It was this in Phoenix? Huh? It's called, it was on uh, Central Avenue, okay. Next ball, hit through the middle. I threw out a runner going in third. Uh, Next ball, then Leo said, gee, you're going to hit. First time up, home run. No, I never worked at anything pertaining to sports. I think I should have, but I think... Now, uh, it's two things, two parts here. I think that all athletes should practice. They should practice because you want to know what's happened as far as when the game is concerned. I didn't have to do that. In spring training, when people go out running, you know, like they run laps around things, I would go in and sleep. I would sleep until they get through. Then I would go out, and then I would go out and run around the bases for a minute, and then I would hit. That's my spring training. I never had any problem as far as my body was concerned i was very blessed with a good body never got hurt never was in the hospital the only time i was in the hospital when i was get exhausted a little bit and go in for a checkup or something but uh i was blessed with a body that i didn't have to do all that you know like uh if i went 0 for five or 0 for six i didn't get hit for two two days i wouldn't take no band practice for like two or three days because I felt I was tired. So I would go in and just rest and go play the game. Show up, if the game is one o'clock, i show up at 12, go play the game, go back home, come the next day, play play the game. Never practiced, never did anything. But then when I got my body back together, I would go out and let the opposition see me. Only because the opposition, let them see me, I still can throw. That means I'm not sick, I'm just resting. That means don't run. That means I still can throw. So you had to do all that in order to play sports. But my body stayed the same all the time. But now you're talking about young people. I think young people, when they go into sports, should practice. They should take orders as far as the manager, you know, whatever, whatever he gives you. Uh, I was lucky I managed myself. Every manager that I had said, hey, play your game. You know what you have to do but I have to manage the other 24 guys. I, I understood what he was saying to me, but I didn't get out of line. I didn't make mistakes. Uh, I would have a manager like Leo, if you make a mistake, $100. If you make not not just a mistake, one mistake, then that's $100. If I made another mistake, $200. So I used to make maybe three mistakes a year out of fifty-four games now. So I had to do a lot of things where... Other guys could make mistakes all the time and nothing, you know, nobody said anything because they were supposed to make mistakes, not me.
1: Playing the game of baseball may have been a walk in the park, but being one of the first black players to integrate baseball was not. Willie Mays told the Academy of Achievement in this interview about the earliest days when he was signed to a minor league team where he was the only African-American player.
0: And we played in a town called Higgins Town, Maryland. Oh, I never forget this day on a Friday, and they call you all kinds of names there—nigger this, nigger that—and and, and I said to myself, "Hey, whatever they call you, they can't touch you. Don't don't talk back." Now this was on a Friday, and the Friday night I hit two doubles, home run. They never clapped. The next day I hit the same thing. There was a house out there in, in the back there. I hit that twice. Now, they start clapping a little bit. You know how that is. You know, they clap a little bit. By Sunday, there was a big headline in the paper, Do Not Bother Mays. You know understand what I'm saying? They you call your all kind of name. Now, this was the first two games I played. And by Sunday, I come to bat. They're all clapping for you. And I'm wondering, wait a minute, what happened to the Friday? What happened to the Saturday? This is running through my mind now. I couldn't stay with the ball club. And when they dropped me off in Hagerstown, downtown in the, the black area, about 2 o'clock in the morning, three players came through the window. And they slept on the floor. There's one of my right-field egg rodents, one of the catchers, Herbieto, And another guy, uh, Bob Easterwood, slept on the floor until about 6 o'clock in the morning. I said, hey, man, I don't need no help here. I said, I think I can handle whatever happened. No, 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 we're going to stay here. They stayed with me until 6 o'clock in the morning. They got up, went back out the window, and came back around 4 o'clock, picked me up. We drove back to the ballpark. Nobody knew about it, but I did. I was so... Thankful, not because of what would happen to him, is because those guys understood my problems. They knew that, hey, if something would happen, I might have got hurt. Uh, I would have hurt somebody, and then I would you wouldn't have had a career. So, my first three or four days in the, in the minor league was my crucial days, and I over you know came that without any problem. You know.
1: A year later came the call from New York Giants manager Leo DeRocher. It was time.
0: I said no, I don't wanna come, Leo. I think I'm having a good year here. I don't wanna think I wanna come up there. So he said, Be on the next plane. That's where Leo talked. Be on the next plane. So I'm on the next plane. Actually I was on the road. I didn't I didn't even go back to get my clothes. They had to send for it when uh, they called me and I was in a movie and it it came across the street screen and says Willie Mays report to the box office. Now I'm saying to myself, who knows me in Sioux City? This is my first time. So I go to the, to the phone there, and uh, Leo says, go to the hotel. I want to talk to you. Uh, you know, Leo had those he had a very, very deep voice. Go to the hotel, and I want to see you. So uh, I went there, and I hear Mr. Storm got on the phone, and he says, uh, we'd like to have you in New York. Do you think you can play a piece? He said, how much can you hit? Can you hit 250? I said, I could walk that. You know, so he said, OK, you be on the plane the next morning, you know. So that was that was Leo. You know, he was one of those guys, he had so much confidence in, in himself that he put it all in other people, you know.
1: But for the first time, Willie Mays found himself lacking confidence.
0: Not because of playing. It was nervous because I couldn't hit. I was crying, I'm telling you. I, we had a pitcher by name, he was coaching at that time, was Freddie Fitzsimmons. He was my first base coach, and he was like, my guy would pitch me a lot of band practice and stuff. So I was crying in there in my locker, and he came in, and uh, he saw me. So now he goes to Leo, and he tells Leo, well, you better go see about your boy. He's in there crying, you know, because I played four games. I didn't get no hit, got one hit or whatever, you know, so I'm... I'm, I'm, hey, I'm nervous now. He's going to send me back very quickly because that's the way they do it. Amazing. If you don't hit, you're gone, you know. So he came out, and again, he uh, said to me, hey, you, you, you're my fielder, Don't even worry about anything else. Just go on home and relax, you know. So Leo DeRocher was like my father away from home.
1: Leo Rocher is the guy who is cited as having coined the expression, nice guys finish last. Actually, that's not exactly what he said, but close enough, and it's odd because Willie Mays has always been pretty universally thought of as a very nice guy, and he for sure never finished last. Among his many achievements, along with the 660 home runs and a place in the Hall of Fame, is a single catch he made on September 29, 1954, during the World Series, for baseball fans, it's known simply as the catch. There's a long drive way back in center field, way back, back, it is.
2: Oh! What he made just from this crowd to his speech with a catch, which must have been an optical illusion to a lot of people.
0: People talk about the catch, and I think, and I've said this many times, but i made better catches than that. Many times in regular season, but of course, during the regular season, you didn't. In my time, you didn't have a lot of television, so a lot of people didn't see me play. A lot of people didn't see me do a lot of things. But I think the key to that particular play was the throw. I knew I had the ball all the time. I, in my mind, because I was so cocky at that particular time when I was young, whatever went in the air, I felt that I could catch. That's how. I, Uh, Sure that I could I was you know be about myself when the ball went up as I'm running I'm running backwards and I'm saying to myself How am I gonna get this ball back into the infield? How am I gonna get this ball back in the field now as I'm I got halfway out As I'm catching the ball. I said oh, I know how I'm gonna do it And I said you stop this. I'm visualizing this as I'm running it's, It's hard to tell people that you know how what I'm doing as I'm running, and I know people say, well, you can't do all that and catch a ball. I said, well, that's what I was doing, okay? I was running, I was running, I'm saying to myself, how am I gonna get this ball back in the infield? So now, as I'm ca- I, ca- I catch the ball, if you watch the film close, I catch the ball, I stop immediately. I make a U-turn. Now, if I catch the ball and run and turn around, Larry Dobin, which is on second, Al Rose was on first. Larry can score from second because Larry told me, I didn't see this, Larry have told me many times, I was just about home when you caught the ball. I had to go back to second and tag up and then go to third. So he would have scored very easy. So I said, well, as I'm running, I got to stop and make a complete turn. You watch the film and and you'll see what I'm talking about. I stopped very quickly, made a U-turn, and when I threw the ball, I'm, I'm facing the wall when the ball is already in the infield. So when he's talk about the catch, the throw was the most important thing because only one guy advanced, and that was Larry from second to third. Al was still on first, and that was the key to, to me with the whole World Series.
1: It was one of the most famous catches of all time, for sure. But did Willie Mays think of it as his best catch?
0: I made a catch in Evansville off a guy by the name of Bobby Morgan. And it was in the 10th inning, bases loaded, a ball was hit over the shortstop on a line, over the shortstop. Now you've got to visualize this, over the shortstop. I go and catch the ball in the air. I'm in the air like this, parallel. I catch the ball, I hit the fence, that atmosphere was so short that if you run anywhere, you're going to hit a fence. So I catch the fence, knock myself out, and the first guy that I saw, two guys, two guys, when I opened my eyes, was Leo and Jackie. And I'm saying to myself, why is Jackie out here? Jackie came to see if I caught the ball, and Leo came to see about me. So I'm saying to myself, this guy is thinking very cool. You know, uh, I'm talking about Jackie now. He wasn't even on, on the field; he was in the dugout. Now I, this is my thinking. He may have a different reason, you know. Uh, but that was my best catch, I think.
1: After a lifetime of hits and runs and defensive plays, what did Willie Mays say was the greatest challenge of his career?
0: The greatest challenge I think is adjusting to not playing baseball. Uh, The reason for that is that I had to come out of baseball and come into the business world, not being a college graduate, not being educated to come into the business world the way I should have. And instead of people doing things for me, I had to do things for myself. I think that was nerve-wracking for me because after coming out of baseball, being the star for so many years, and now all of a sudden, you're not the star. And that was frightening to me. I had to learn how to live life outside, but I'm I'm a very lucky guy, you know, because I had so many things that I had to go through, and I had so many people that helped me over the course of uh, so many years that I never had many problems. Because if I had a problem, I could sit down with someone and they would explain the problem to me. And the problem become like a baseball game. You're, you're at home plate now. How you get to first? How you get to second? How do you get to third? Now, when you get back to home, the problem is solved. And that's why I use the business world. I use it as a baseball game. And once you start thinking the way you've been taught to think over so many years, you have no problems. When he hits the ball, it's long gone, man.
2: Hits it farther than camp he can. Swings the bats like a little lead pipe. When they reach the ball, it's overripe. Say hey, say who? Say will it? He? Say hey, say who? Swing it at the plate. Say hey, say who? Say.
1: That's Willie Mays, baseball legend, speaking to the Academy of Achievement in 1996. Next time you're in the market for great stories and a dose of inspiration, come visit us again. Or maybe you've got time for another one right now. Thanks for listening today to What It Takes. I'm Alice Winkler. Funding for What It Takes comes from the Catherine B. Reynolds Foundation. When Willie
2: served his Uncle Sam he left the Giants in an awful jam, but now he's back and he's Leo's joy. And Willie's still a growing boy. Say hey, say who, say Willie. Say hey, say who, striking at the plate. Say hey, say who, say Willie. That Giants kid is great. That Giants. you gonna say say hey